this word. The Lord's throne in heaven is yet occupied. He rule, his rule is eternal and his good purposes on earth will be forever accomplished. So we need never be swayed by the brief and passing panic of this age. Well, today we're going to continue our short study in John chapter 15, and then we'll move back to 1 Peter. And again, we've been in John 15 to talk about abiding in Jesus. And as we have throughout the last several years, we've begun the year just thinking about different conduits of God's grace. And those conduits of grace, we're talking about those, not of that initial grace poured out upon us where we are forgiven of sins and made right before a holy God, but that grace that continues as we're made more like Jesus, we're sanctified and continues to pour out grace through his word and and through gathering together and through prayer and through service and through sharing the faith and then we're reminded as well that the beginning point of all those things is abiding in Jesus and abiding in his love. So we go back to that today and we were reminded of who that true vine is, who our true life is, Jesus. And we're called to abide in him as he abides in us, as he abides in us. And one of those things as we abide Fruit naturally comes forth from us. And one of those, those fruit that should come forth is the fruit of love. Loving one another. So we'll look at that today and we see this call to love one another. If you haven't yet, I encourage you to, to open your Bible or grab a Bible or, or open it on your phone. John 15, verse 12, we begin. And we see that We are to love as Jesus has loved us. And he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So here this commandment, to love one another in the same way that that Jesus has already loved us. And this isn't the first time. Remember this passage of chapter 15, it's in the midst of a, a longer teaching of Jesus from chapter 13 through 17, where Jesus is gathered with his disciples at that last Passover meal, and he's teaching them these things. And earlier in chapter 13, if you just turn over or, or flip through just a little back a little ways to John 13, verse 34, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So here, again, Jesus says that same thing, to to love. And I have this new commandment, he says. This new commandment to love one another. And you might think, well, doesn't he in the Old Testament, doesn't God say love love others or love your neighbor? And he he does. Um, And you even think of Jesus when he was asked, what are the greatest commandments? He said to love God and love others, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's then in Deuteronomy 19.18 that 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 command. But Jesus, he heightens this command to love our neighbor and to love as he has loved us. As this sacrificial life-giving love, we're called to love in this. And before we, we look again at verse 12, may we note verse 35 where he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That our love for one another and love for those around us in this world, it's a mark of being a follower of Christ. 
It's a mark of being a disciple, one who follows after Christ. So we should be those who, who lay down our lives and love others, and we should be marked by love. And we've talked as we've gone through First Peter that one of the things as Christians that we follow Jesus, we should be marked by hope. Because we have this great hope in Jesus. We're marked by the gospel. We're, we're also people that are marked by love. We're marked by love. We're not marked by violence, but love. We're people marked by love. And people will see that and know that we are followers of Jesus Christ. So back now to verse 12 of 15. Again, he says, love as I have loved you. And you think he's talking to the disciples. And how has he loved the disciples? And remember, again, verse chapter 13, that's the beginning of this whole section. And in, in that, Jesus, what does he do? He, this is the passage where he, he washes the disciples' feet. So the disciples come in for this meal, and they have stinky, dirty feet. And he does what the servant does. And he kneels down, and he, he washes, and he cleans their feet. A quote that, I'm not very good at remembering quotes, but this is one that has stuck in my head for many years in a book about spiritual disciplines by Richard Foster. He says in this, that Jesus took up a towel and a basin and he redefined greatness. And he also redefined greatness and love all mingled together. And even the beginning, the first verse of chapter 13 says that Jesus, as he, they gathered with his disciples, he loved them. He loved them to the end, to the very end. And he loved them. So he he's loves these disciples and he says to them, As I have washed your feet, as your Lord and your teacher, you wash one another's feet. And I think we know it, as we come into church, we don't start washing feet. Or if you have people over to your home, we don't do foot, feet washing because we're wearing shoes. And it just, it's just not part of our custom. So sometimes there's a hard to connect what is going on. But I can just imagine Christ coming in to our home for a meal and the meal being done. And he says, well, can I do all your dishes and clean them up and do them? He's serving. This is an act of sacrificial love and serving us. And we can see that Christ served the disciples and he serves us now and he shows us love and calls us to love. And you think of the disciples too, that he was, he was patient with them. He's long suffering for them with them and their sin and their confusion and their one upsman uh, where they're trying to see who would be the highest in Jesus's kingdom and as a disciple and all of these things. He was patient with them and long suffering with them. And he called them out of darkness into his, his kingdom. These ordinary men that he called out from different walks of life. He's interesting. He calls a zealot and a tax collector. A zealot who's ready to, to rise up and take over Rome. And one who has a job employed by Rome to take taxes from the people. And God calls all of these people different points of view. And he, Jesus led them and called them and loved them. And ultimately, we know that Jesus loved them by laying down his life for them, which we're going to see just in a, a verse down the way here. So verse 14, 13, we see this. We're to love one another to the utmost as Jesus has loved us. Verse 13 and 14. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So what is the greatest act of love like that a friend could show another friend? What is the greatest expression of love? Well, it's to, to be able to lay down one's life, to die for a friend, to 100% lay aside oneself for one's friend. 
it's the highest act of love that we can do. And we know that Jesus has loved us in this way. That he has loved us. And we know that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That he might die for us. And he gave us his son. And Christ came loving us. He came and died for us, taking upon judgment, our judgment, upon himself, that we can be forgiven and made right, that he took upon our sin and he places upon us his righteousness when we trust and rest in him. And if you think, think about this love, this great love of laying down and giving one's life for us type of love. Also in this passage, a couple weeks back, we saw in verse 19 that Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So this type of love, to the greatest extent that he showed to us in the de- his death on the cross, he says, Abide in my love. Abide in love. What an amazing love that we've been shown and we've been called to abide in the greatest love that is possible. If you remember last week, we talked about joy and how as image bearers of our God, we're created for a great capacity of joy and a joy that's found in Jesus in our walk with him and in all eternity. And we're also designed and we're created to receive great love. We're created to receive great love, a love, the love of Christ and of God our Father. And as we abide in Him and abide in His love, fruit will flow forth. And one of those fruits, again, is love. The love that we've been commanded to love, to love one another, that love will flow. It's not a love that we have to muster up in our own strength, but that we rest in Christ and Christ's Spirit in us, working in us, that we might love and demonstrate that love freely in Christ as he works in us. So our relationships should be marked by that of love, of a sacrificial giving of life type of love. A love that Jesus demonstrates, and I pray even a love that we as a church, as a flock, as a family of God, that we would be marked by sacrificial love for one another. As God has shown us through Christ, those who weep, with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. May we not be self-seeking in our relationships, being so ready to forgive, and not just being ready to forgive, but being able to ask for forgiveness and look first to our own heart and those type of people that were so quick to do those things, that we're not easily put off or embittered to one another long-suffering, that we're quick to listen and hear, slow to speak and slow to become angry with one another, laying down our own rights, our own time, our own preferences. And Sometimes, I, if you're like me, I feel like it'd be almost easier just to, to give up my life than to actually lay down my rights and my comfort and my time for, for someone else. May we be those who are willing to set aside those things. And even in a time of... Um, of great division, um, that we can even be willing to, to lovingly just set aside things, that we can love one another and do it well. May we pray for that for one another and that we, it be, would begin with us as we love and that love would not just be within this church family but continue out 
making Jesus not ignorable as we love as he loved. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, I think this verse, if we don't understand it right, it can be a kind of a discouraging, either a discouraging verse or a stepping block to self-righteousness, um, just doing things on our own. But instead, if we understand this, I think this is a point of great grace in the good news of Jesus. So Jesus here, as he says these things, he's not saying, if you do what I command you, you will become my friends. That's not what he says. Um, but he's saying, if you do what I command you, you will confirm, you will demonstrate that you are my friend whom I've died for. And, and we can say that because in the context of, well, of, of all of Scripture, where we see that it is God that first loves us, and we're going to see even in this passage that we didn't cho- choose him, but he chose us. He's the first actor in our life. And in Romans 5, it says that while we were yet sinners, how did God demonstrate his love? He sent his son to die for us. Uh, while we were yet sinners. And even in this passage, we see that abiding in Christ begins, and then fruit comes from that abiding. And then, if that's not enough for you, look again at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He loves first, and then we're able to then love in the manner that he has first loved us. So our love proceeds from the love that Christ has shown us. Our obedience flows from the love that, love that God has poured out upon us in Christ. So we are friends of Jesus, whom he first loved and he first called. And we demonstrate that by our loving and our following and having his words abide in us. And really, we know that we can't be friends with Jesus and and be rebelling from him at the same time from his word. But we're called to abide. Evidence of our abiding Jesus in a relationship then is found as we, we love one another. But at the same time, our security... Our security and our, our salvation in Jesus isn't found in the strength of our works or the strength of our love or even the, the strength of our faith. But instead, our assurance of our salvation is found in the object and the giver of that faith. Our security is found in Jesus. Uh, and he is that giver, the gracious giver of faith and repentance. And then verse 15 we see that love is in love rooted in Jesus is in Jesus who calls us calls us friend verse 15 no longer do i call you f- servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but i have called you friends for all that i have heard from your father i have made known to you so jesus he makes this contrast of these two different relationships we have a relationship of a servant and a master, and then a relationship of a friend and a friend. And they're different, different, really different types of relationships. And we know that a master, he acts and does without consulting the servant. He does. He just does. The servant, in a lot of ways, is in the dark. It's this one-way type of relationship, a master with a servant. But a friend, he's pulled in out of the dark. He's spoken to about all that the friend is about. And all that is happening. There's a mutual friendship. And Jesus, again, he said, abide in me as I abide in you. And Jesus here says he's called us friend. And he's made known to us all that the 
the Father is speaking and desires to show us. And Jesus has revealed these things to his disciples, and he's taught them these things. And they've been brought in, and he says, I call you friends. And we are brought in as disciples of Christ, and he calls us friends, and he speaks. And we know we have a God who's a God who speaks from the beginning of creation, and he's revealed himself through Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. And Christ speaks to us. Think of Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So he spoke to us through the Son, who is the, who is the heir of all things, creator of the world. And he, then he calls us friend, and he brings us in. He's spoken to us and revealed us all that we need for life and godliness to follow after him. And verse 11, too, as we saw last week, that he, he spoke to them why that they might have joy. And he speaks and, and draws us in as friends that we might have joy and have it in all abundance, have it completely. So we've been brought in as friends of Jesus. And we just need to think and sit on that sometimes. That he has called us friends, this mutual relationship. That he is with us and we are with him. And he he calls us to abide in him, to remain in him, to rest in him. And abide and remain and rest in his love so that we will then be able to freely love one another. And we're welcomed in to the family of God and to his kingdom. And then we can love, we can even love enemies, our enemies by his grace, because we know that our God is just, and we can hand over any injustice to him and be able to love even our enemies in him. We also know of Jesus, one of the, the titles that people looking in at Jesus, even those religious leaders, what did they call Jesus? He called him a friend of sinners. So he's a friend of us. He's our friend. And we too are called to be those who are our friends of sinners. I know in our, our DNA study with the group I was with this last week, we, we talked about that, that we're called to, to not just seek to be an acquaintance of people who don't know Christ, but be friends, that we can show the love of Christ to them. Then verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So there's this first part. Again, we're talking about God's initiative. We see that he is the one that made that first initiative by choosing us. It's just like the parable Jesus told in, in Luke 15 of the good shepherd. What is the good shepherd who has a lost sheep? What does he do? He goes after that lost sheep and rescues him. He's the one in the Old Testament. It says that he takes hearts of stone and makes them hearts of flesh so that we might freely choose him and freely follow him. Our salvation rests in him. We don't rest in some sort of small nugget of righteousness that, that, that brings about our salvation, but it's all of his grace. Apart from him, we could do nothing. Even Ephesians 5 says that we were, before Christ, we were dead in sin. And what can dead people do? Not a whole lot. Um, He grants us faith and repentance. And then he chooses us. Um, Since he's chosen us, he also says, I I send you. So we're to go and bear fruit. We're goers and fruit bearers. 
as we abide in the grace of what God has done in us, as we abide in Jesus, abide in his word, and allow his word to abide in us, we are those who are going to be those who go and bear fruit. And as we've talked about in this passage, I think fruit in general, there's probably a pretty broad category of this fruit that we are to bear um, fruit of the Spirit, uh, a fruit to love one another that we see in this passage, a fruit of a joy, a fruit of obedience, a fruit of even allowing God's Word to abide in us. Um, but here it seems like Jesus maybe narrows down a little bit what that fruit is, and he says to go and bear fruit. And it seems to parallel Jesus' words before he ascends into heaven in, in, Mar- in Matthew 28, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, he says to the disciples, in verse 19 of chapter 28 of Matthew, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. So we are those who go and bear fruit. We are those who go sowing seeds, those who go watering seeds, those who go allowing God to bring their growth as well. So God is the one He's working in us to, to bear fruit and bear fruit that will abide. And even, even one of the means of, of that fruit bearing is prayer. We see numbers. We are those who are to, to pray. May we pray that we'd be productive fruit bearers in this world. That he would help us. That he would give us opportunity to, to be a witness to Christ. To, to give evidence that we are uh, those who follow Jesus. And we demonstrate in our lives. I know when we were um, served a, in East Asia for eight years, and we sowed so many seeds as our family and our team and our others families that were there. I don't know. We just sowed seed after seed. I don't know how many seeds we sowed. And we, we were able to, by God's grace, bear some fruit, but we still pray that he will bring others to water some of those seeds as, as students and others that we shared with continue to spread across that nation, that fruit might continue to come forth because he is the one that, that ultimately bears that fruit, right? And it abides. May it abide. So may we pray for those things. Might we pray that we would be able to abide, that we'd be good, faithful sowers of the gospel. And as we've talked about even in this year, maybe both in little ways and small ways, be those who, who plant seed and, and seek for fruit to come, that we just speak a little bit of God's truth, that we might be able to share more of it, that we could share the gospel with people and even begin praying. I encourage you to even pray through this year as we begin this year of, of one, one person who you feel that the Lord might have you be a witness in their life to be able to share the gospel and praying for fruit in that individual's life. So I encourage you even now to begin that. And this is something we might come back to several times throughout the year, um, even probably in a little bit provide even a prayer guide to begin to pray for that person or two that the Lord would have you this year really focus on. That you might say initially, just say something, but then be able to share the good news and share the love of Christ. And may we not feel even this, think of it as a weight to bear, but of a joy. Like the joy of Christ might be full in us as we are those who get to take part in, in, in seed sowing and fruit bearing in the lives of friends and co-workers and, and neighbors around us. So may we pray, Lord, who? Uh, Lord, help. Lord, open doors. Even Paul, he prayed and asked the Colossians to pray with him, um, to pray that 
doors might open and that he would be bold to speak the gospel. So we, we need to pray for those things. And, and again, it begins, all of this begins as we abide in Christ and abide in his love. And then that fruit of love pours forth. What a good, as I was thinking this week, what a, a wonderful passage to, to end or well, begin this, this year and end this study on this call of love. To abide in the love of Christ and be those who are marked by love for one another. That we might share of Jesus Christ. Might that be the greatest thing that, that's on the, the tip of our tongues that we desire to share before anything else with others. And the first step, of course, in that walk of abiding is initially coming to Christ as he calls and draws you. And maybe even during this time in the last few weeks or months, you felt the draw of the Lord that he he is calling to you to rest in him, to lay aside yourself and your sin and to abide in him and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And if that is the case for you, I encourage you this morning to place your faith and your life in Jesus Christ.